Welcome to another episode of Inside the Nest. It's the official podcast of Kennesaw State University Athletics. I'm your host, Nolan Alexander, and today we have a great conversation about the FCS with a man that knows the landscape. It's Brian McLaughlin, who heads Hero Sports coverage of the FCS. Inside the Nest is brought to you by Fifth Third Bank, the official bank of Kennesaw State University Athletics. Fifth Third Bank, working hard to make banking a Fifth Third better. Visit 53.com for more information. A precursor before we play the interview with Brian, I recorded this interview last week. So some of the information that he talks about being earlier in the day or the day before, just keep in mind that's dated from a week ago. Everything else, I think for the most part, the news around the FCS outside of North Dakota State's game has remained stagnant. So hope you enjoy it. It's our coverage of the FCS nationwide with Brian McLaughlin of Hero Sports on Inside the Nest. Brian McLaughlin of Hero Sports joins us on Inside the Nest. Brian, we appreciate you coming on the podcast today to discuss college football and what's transpired over the past couple of weeks. One, have you managed to catch your breath after everything that unfolded in the beginning of August? Absolutely not, Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> not, a, not in the least. Uh, my kids look like they've grown 10 years. Uh, I don't recognize them. My son's got facial hair, so, you know. And he's 10. So that, it, it, a lot of stuff has happened the last couple of weeks. I, um, it, it, I think the best way to sum up what's been going on really since, I would say, May is that, you know, we, we think we're going to go this way and then it swings this way. And then it's like, no, 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 we're going to go this way. And then it's like, well, the FBS is going to do this. So we're going to go follow them going that way. And, and okay, at first uh, looked like we were going to have 60% of the schools were going to play in the fall. And it was kind of like, how is that going to work? Uh, but, wow, okay, they want to play in the fall. Looks like we're going to have a playoff. Then it was like, oh, no, two, two conferences dropped. Now we're at 40%. But that's still a substantial number of schools that want to play. So we're going to have a fall season and a spring season. And then I think everybody kind of wised up and went, yeah, do we – do we really have what it takes to be ready for this protocol wise on a weekly basis? Um, especially understanding that we probably won't have rear ends in the seats, which is really the lifeblood of FCS football. Um, maybe we should punt on this. You know, it's not like we have the, the lucrative television contracts, you know, that they have at the FBS level where you could play in front of nobody and still make money. So um, it's just been crazy. There's been a ton of interest, and, uh, you know, like I was telling you a second ago, it just – it changes so frequently. I mean, for instance, I just tweeted that Abilene Christian and Mercer just added games at Army. I mean, I I thought we were losing games, not adding games, and they just added – uh, Army just added home games against Abilene Christian and Mercer. I didn't even have them playing a game this fall until – five minutes ago which tells me they're going to actively try to add games this fall I mean it, it just it never ends stuff just, just keeps happening left and right so that's kind of a summation of it I guess Nolan who or when was the tipping point 
for all the cancellations of the fall season, moving them to this spring. If you can try to pinpoint that. I, I, I think there's kind of like two of them. I mean, okay. Um, I think when the Missouri Valley jettisoned, uh, that of course took the playoff feel away because I think up until that point, we thought, Oh, well, you know, maybe, um, Maybe if North Dakota State hangs in there, South Dakota State, just the whole league in general, which trust me, those areas of the country being a little more, mostly more sparsely populated, mm-hmm. um, maybe haven't been hit as hard by the COVID, you know, uh, pandemic, uh, and you've got some superpowers. And then remember, if if there's going to be a playoff, James Madison's going to play. You know, Elon's going to play, which is a team that usually makes the playoffs. Um, you know, you guys were still being, you know, in the mix. when You guys are a FCS power. I mean, you know, so there's – there were still – even though the big – the CAA as a group and, and, and the big sky had just ducked out, it still looked to me like if the Missouri Valley hung in there with, you know, really two of the top four programs of the last four years being North Dakota State, South Dakota State. And then that kept JMU involved. Um, and then all the conferences in the South were still, you know, there. You know, we had the Big South with you guys being a big part of that. We had the SOCON. You know, we had the Southland. We had Jacksonville State still intact. We had Furman still intact. Citadel, um, you know, the OVC, the, you know, I thought that might have a playoff. Now, when the Missouri Valley backed out, okay, now we know that pretty much pushed it below 50%. Okay, we're not going to have a playoff, and we're certainly not going to have North Dakota State. If we're not going to have a playoff, we're not going to have James Madison. They've said that, that they were willing to do up to eight games and be in the playoff mix, basically if they could get another shot at NDSU. And then the next level was probably about a week ago. I really thought that we'd have four conferences, you know, with with the Big South, obviously, minus Monmouth and Hampton, who said they can't play because they're uh, in a different part of the country, you know, that, that really was uh, highly hit by the virus. But we still had this nucleus of about 40 schools that were going to play, you know, a, a schedule this fall and try to add as many FBS money games as they could. And it was – I really thought that was going to happen. I thought we'd have about 40 schools playing. And I thought, man, I was already thinking about how to cover it and how we were going to do it. And I was stunned when they all pulled out about – starting about this time last week. So um, so there were two of them, two spots where I felt were kind of turning points. There was a turning point away from a playoff, and then there was really a turning point away from having any conference championship uh, runs at all. And at this point, you know, we still – you know, we added two more games. We've got about 20 games still scheduled for this fall. Some of them are two FB, FCS teams playing each other. But a lot of them are, you know, cash games, of course. Uh, but we still have about 20 games, and who knows? Will those get played? We Who knows? So um, and that's just kind of a summary of how it's it's been all along. So, What do you think played a bigger part towards the latter part of the week when some conferences, it just kind of seemed to snowball with the postponements? Was it health and cost of everything that goes with the new NCAA requirements related to COVID-19? Or was it 
approaching and then going underneath that 50% threshold of having the inability to host a postseason tournament? Um, yeah, I don't think by last week that the, the postseason thing was as big a deal because, um, look, I mean, you know, like you just said, finances is a reality at this level. Money does not grow on trees at the FCS level. We all know that, um, it, you know, we don't have the luxury here of, of being whimsical when it comes to money and, and, you know, a lot of that money comes from rear ends being in the, in the, in the stands and just, you know, being able to have a full home slate, et cetera. And yeah, the, the, obviously the mandate coming down from the NCAA was going to make it very difficult to do everything that they wanted, uh, you know, for the sake of the student athletes and, um, and then what are we going to do? Play the season in the red? Uh, you know, I don't think that makes any sense for any program. I mean, usually football is what brings money into the athletic program, not sucks it out, you know? So that was, I think that was a reality. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, some of the ones that are holding on to this, you know, for instance, I think I want to say Houston Baptist out of the Southland conference has lined up three FBS games. HBU might end up making, I don't have their, their cash payout in front of me, but this again is just diving into reality. They may end up making about 1.5 to three or $2 million. And that's, I think that's worth playing three games right now. And, and who knows, maybe they'll give one of them fits. I mean, some of them are a group of five teams and, you know, last year Houston Baptist scared UTEP. So it could, hey, yeah, maybe it'd be a great game and you get a payout, you know? <clears throat> but I think you're seeing a lot of those types of games where uh, that is one way for an FCS team to make some money is to play, uh, you know, get a rescheduled group of five game or even P5. I think uh, one of them's playing. I think Houston Baptist is playing Texas Tech. So they've got a the P5 game. And, you know, like, like we just said, Abilene Christian and Mercer just added Army. So those two programs will get to go play on the Hudson at West Point which is a, you know, hey, that's kind of a cool, <laughs> kind of a cool uh, trip for the kids that they never would have done otherwise. So that's, that's kind of a nice thing. But um, uh, so yeah, but the bottom line, like you said, money and trying to do the protocol correctly. That's, that was a big contributing factor, all this. While I have you on the subject of FCS and FBS, uh, I asked this question to our guest last week, Emory Hunt. And uh -huh. I'm curious of your thoughts too. What trends, what, well, first question, what trends over the past handful of years have you seen in the FCS level? And two, what do you think are some reasons why the quality of the games, I know the FCS doesn't win every time, but I feel like the quality of the games in FCS versus FBS has increased greatly over the past couple of years. So two questions there, trends in the FCS, and, and two, what do you think has impacted the quality of the games between FCS and FBS? Yeah, there's a lot of things. Um, first of all, there, to me, and you can get any coach to say this off the record, uh, there's no difference between what I'd say is the top 25 to 50-ish FCS programs and group of five football. 
I mean, there's some exceptions, obviously, you know, when you have a team like um, that Western Michigan team a couple years ago, that was so good. And uh, UCF a couple years ago, that was so good. You know, obviously those programs have, you know, had that one year where they look as good as an, you know, an ACC team or whatever. But in general, when I see Akron line up against a Missouri Valley team or you guys line up with Georgia State and and push them or, or go up to Kent State and push them, I'm sorry, I don't see a whole lot of difference. And any group of five coach that tries to sell that um, joke sandwich to a recruit is lying because there's the only difference to me between group of five talent and FCS is the fact that they're allowed to have, you know, 23 more of them on the roster for depth. When you get to the P5 level, I feel like some of our better programs at the FCS level, when their ones are playing our ones, it can be really interesting, uh, depending on what FCS team we're talking about and what, obviously, what P5 team. I mean, it's, you know, Alabama's Alabama, but, um, you know, what about when they're playing Vanderbilt? You know, I think, you know, our ones at this level and their ones could be a pretty good game for a while, and then their depth is going to take over. That's the stuff that it feels like it keeps getting better. And I, I cover recruiting with FCS. And <clears throat> what's interesting is the the number of times that programs at our level beat out it, a group of five teams straight up for recruits. And it's also interesting, you know, come close to signing day in February when Maybe a guy waited too long or whatever. He had a verbal offer early in the process from an ACC or SEC team. And, of course, maybe he was third on their pecking order for, you know, that position, and they kind of let that go. They never offered him uh, formally. But you get some of these guys that three P5 teams wanted, and he didn't act quickly enough, or maybe he was their second or third option. It didn't work out. But he's a very talented kid, and he comes to this level – and flourishes you know we see that a lot so uh other things i mean we talk about this a lot i think the first time espn game day went to fargo was a big groundbreaking situation because the whole town shut down and if you remember that i think it was 2012 2013 when it sounds about beginning. right. It was early. Yeah, they and they did it. If you remember, Nolan, they did it back to back years uh, at Fargo. It wasn't about the matchup that day. It was, you know, they obviously picked that weekend because, you know, Ohio State and Michigan weren't playing. It was a perfect weekend to show how amazing North Dakota State is. <clears throat> you know, they go there and they held it on Main Street, not at the stadium, on Main Street. And the whole town showed up. All the businesses shut down. Um, I worked for the sporting news at that time. And, of course, I'm covering college football, so I'm watching this. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know much about that school. Goodness gracious, you know. I think they had just beaten Minnesota or something like that. And uh, they had won a national title or two. And then they went back to the next year. And I'm like, whoa, this is big. And, you know, then they went to an HBCU matchup, I think, up at FAMU. And then they went to James Madison in 15, and the place was nuts. And I can tell you, in 17, when they went back to James Madison with ESPN Game Day, I, you know, my man, managing editor and uh, CEO said, get up there, you know, go see this. I went up there, and I'm a University of Florida grad. 
And game day used to come to our campus all the time in my first couple of years at school. And I was covering the Gators and, and, you know, Kirk Herb Street and Lee Corso would come and the place would fill up, you know, for them. Uh, it was a big deal. But I'm telling you, James Madison's atmosphere was way better than anything I ever saw at Florida. I mean, they, they, they were out there Thursday afternoon. I mean, like, it was like Krzyzewskiville at Duke basketball for a UNC game. It was nuts. And so to sum all that up, okay, first of all, we're start, you know, South Dakota State hosted North Dakota State last year. I think the whole thing about the FCS being this low level is starting to get tossed out. And I can tell you, I'm in Florida. North Dakota State can come down to the Tampa Bay area where I live. They can get skill kids. They don't need the linemen because you know the Dakotas, man. You know the Midwest. They can get linemen. But they got, you know, let's let's go to Chicago. Let's go to St. Louis. Let's go to Florida and get those skill kids. They couldn't do that 10 years ago. And, and because of the North Dakota States, the JMUs, South Dakota States, whatever, I think it's had an effect – you know, on everybody that is really, really trying to play at a high level because uh, they want to play against these teams and they want to win a national title, you know, whatever. Um, I think that's been big. Last thing I think that's been big is the fact that Carson Wentz is a second pick overall back in 2016. Uh, Cooper Cup is killing it, you know, in the NFL and, um, you know, who else we have Darius Leonard out of South Carolina state. And I I'm guilty. We did not talk about him as much as we should have. We talked about Cooper and Carson and Jeremy Chin last year at Southern Illinois, who ended up being taken, I think in the second round this spring, <clears throat> you know, we talked about all those guys. The bottom line is you now know you can get drafted from the FCS. So high level talent's not afraid to, you know, pick a school here, develop themselves, you know. And um, I think those are the things that we're seeing, not to mention the fact that some of these crowds consistently get into the mid-20s. And don't get me started on those HBCU classics that can get into the 60,000 range. So, you know, there's some good crowds. This is big-time college football without all the, all the bad parts of college football at the P5 level. I think those are – some of the reasons that things have grown so much. We'd like to take this time to thank our proud partner, Coca-Cola, for being the beverage choice of Kennesaw State University Athletics events. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. We'd also like to thank our healthcare partner, Wellstar Health System. At Wellstar, their mission is to enhance the health and well-being of every person they serve. Their vision is to deliver world-class healthcare to every person, every time. You're listening to Inside the Nest with Brian McLaughlin of Hero Sports. Let's get back to the chat. So a question that just about every playoff program has asked itself at some point in time. When we do have the FCS playoffs in the spring, mm -hmm. how do you beat North Dakota State? Um, yeah, it's a story where I've asked a lot of coaches that who have either done it or come close and the the I guess to sum it up it, it would be you you gotta knock them off their train tracks but that's not necessarily there's like no easy answer on how to do that but when I say that it's North Dakota State is not an east-west team you know they're what they do 
is they punch you in the teeth and then they line up again and they punch you in the teeth and they line up again and they punch you in the teeth. And so if you're playing them and uh, you, and you let them mow you down, which most FCS programs can't stop them, <clears throat> you're going to get mauled. Um, if you, if you model your style of play after what they do and you catch them on an off day, you can, and that's what, James Madison did that day in the semifinals back in 16. If you remember that game, they punched North Dakota State in the face. And what was interesting about that was just the year before under a different coach, <clears throat> James Madison was flashy uh, with Vad Lee, who had been the starting quarterback at Georgia Tech. I mean, they could hang 55 points on you. The problem was they might give up 50, you know, and, and Mike Houston came in there and changed that culture. And he knew – if you talk to them that, okay, who are we aiming for here? Well, obviously, you know, they wanted to win the CAA, but who are they really aiming for? North Dakota State. And how, how are we going to do that? Well, let's watch and see what they do. I mean, their physical punch you in the gut, up the middle, out physical you on the line. Okay, so we're going to build our program the, like that. And that's what they did, and it worked. And and ever since then, North Dakota State has beaten JMU two times in the national title game, but both games were good, if you remember. I mean, they the games have been competitive. Um, so I think that's the thing. You're, you're going to have to be physical, and that's hard to do at the FCS level because it's not as easy to get those elite alignment at this level. It's easy to – I think it's easy to get – P5 level running backs, receivers, even quarterbacks. I think it's really hard to get those defensive linemen that could play in the SEC, ACC, whatever, um, and especially offensive linemen that could play in the Big Ten or whatever. But the elite programs find a way to do that and get guys and develop them. Uh, that's the key. You kind of have to play their game. Don't be afraid to punch them. Uh, and then maybe hope they, you know, they turn the ball over a couple of times. And, and, and I don't know that they are, especially without Carson Wentz, I don't know that North Dakota State is ever going to be necessarily a comeback kid type team, although Trey Lance is pretty good. He might be better than Carson when it's all said and done. But um, they aren't typically built to come back on you. So if you got up on them by two scores – and you were grinding and it was working, that might be. But I, here I am. I'm reaching for a – Oh, it is, yes. It's, right? it's one of the most difficult questions you could ask in college football right now. I, yeah, and, and I, you know, the one thing I'll say, I, I, don't be surprised in the spring, as good as that team is, don't be surprised if one of those Missouri Valley teams takes them out during the season because they, it almost always happens. Like, mm. you know, every year – like, it didn't happen um, – uh, what last year, but in years prior, South Dakota State beat them back to back years. If you remember, now don't talk about the playoffs because once they get in the playoffs, NDSU takes you know is in another stratosphere. But South Dakota State beat them twice with the Dakota marker in a row, I think 16 and 17. Um, we've seen uh, South Dakota beat Carson Wentz back in 15. Um, you know, Illinois State had them beaten in the national championship in 14 until Carson went on a 50-second drive 
with no time remaining to win the national title. Northern Iowa gives them fits every time they play. Illinois State generally gives them fits. Amazingly, Youngstown State usually keeps it interesting against them in every game. I mean, you know, the Missouri Valley teams have catered their style of play a lot of times to what NDSU does, and they make it interesting. I still think that maybe spring that is going to be where you see the challenge and maybe even in the playoffs because Northern Iowa is going to be good this year and South Dakota state's always good. So, you know, and they've built themselves into being kind of like NDSU. So that, I don't know if that answers your question necessarily, but um, I, I think it's got to be a physical team like a JMU or another Valley team, or maybe if one of the big sky teams becomes a real muscle team like Montana State is trying to do um you know that that type of team could take them out speaking of the spring what have you heard on what a regular season and postseason could potentially look like and also what are your thoughts on both of those you know I don't know um we haven't heard a lot of discussion about that the the one um exception is the SWAC which is not typically part of the playoff picture. The SWAC did release its conference schedule for the spring. And if you remember, the SWAC was the first conference to bolt and say definitively that they wanted to do the spring. So they released their their schedule on Monday of this week. And it's a conference-only sched starting in February, culminating in a SWAC championship game on May 1st. I don't know how anybody else could really do anything differently than that. Uh, It's going to be cold in some parts of the country, not necessarily as bad where you live up in the Atlanta area and I live down here in Tampa. But if you're in the Dakotas, February is going to be kind of chilly. Luckily, Yeah, I want to see Missoula and Bozeman in the spring. The quote-unquote spring. (laughs) I know. That's the first thing I was thinking is, you know, I, you know, when you think about the fall, if they make it to December, it's, it's a, you know, it's a reward for a great season. Uh, how about that reward for preseason being playing in that? <laughs> Bring your skis. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that should be interesting. But as far as the timetable, I would think that it would run a lot like the, um, the SWAC, you know, because if, if this all works out, my guess is you come back from New Year's, it's a new semester. There's going to need to be some preseason training. And then you're going to want to get your eight games in conference-wise. Uh, and then my guess is I, I, it, it has to be that they go to a 16 team. I, I can't see it any other way unless they just go eight. Um, but I would – first of all, I don't see that first-round game that we usually typically have right after Thanksgiving. That's not going to happen. They're not going to have that. There's no way. There wouldn't be time. Uh, I would think it would go to 16 teams. I think you'd have your eight seeds, and then the other eight, my guess, would be geographically picked like we usually do the first round. Um, You know, we'd make sure that instead of seeding all 16, let's seed the top eight. They all get the host. You know, and if Kennesaw is a top eight seed, let's make sure they're playing Samford or Jacksonville State or – let, let's not have Weber State come to Kennesaw in the first round. That makes no sense, you know, in this day and age from a crowd standpoint, 
from a travel standpoint, uh, post pandemic, hopefully post, uh, you know, let's make sure that the matchups matter. Let's, uh, that they make sense and then go from there. You know, that, that would, I mean, that would give us what a three week playoff or would that be four? I guess it'd be four. Um, but, uh, I've, I have heard scuttlebutt that they would definitely want to be done by the end of May. Um, the other little side effect to all of this is, uh, will the NFL draft change anything around, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and it, it, we already know, you know, the big 10 and the PAC 12 aren't going to play in the fall. So they're eyeballing the spring. And, you know, if the NFL wants to watch these guys play and evaluate, they may, they may change things around with the whole draft process for all we know. So, so um, it- Searching around on Twitter, which is a very, very dangerous thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah. When, when everything started coming out about conferences postponing to the spring, there was lots of talk of, oh, could this be a permanent thing? Uh, the benefits of the FCS, you have your own spring football and whatnot. Oh, yeah. uh, what, what are some of the most interesting rumors of something that you've seen kind of thrown out there that maybe it sticks, maybe it doesn't, of what – the, the future looks like outside of spring 2021. Is this something that we're going to go back and come the fall of 2021? It's a modified schedule and things come back in rhythm, or is there a small percentage that spring football becomes a thing in the FCS? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, the first guy to bring up that idea, I think was throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it would stick was uh, Pollock, David Pollock. Um, bringing that up and I'm like, where are you, where are you getting this? And I, I got to share it with you. So when, when I went up to uh, ESPN game day at JMU in, in 2017, you know, we got one-on-one time with all the, the talent on the show. Uh, not all of it, but most of them. And what stunned me is how clueless David Pollock really is uh, about the FCS level. Certainly. And um, same thing with Desmond Howard. I mean, they just – I'm not real sure why we were interviewing them because they had no clue of anything about James Madison. And JMU was coming off the national title. It, it, they weren't exactly an unknown factor. I mean, they had beaten SMU, what, two years – they beat they beat East Carolina like a drum that year. You know, it's not like they were an unknown quantity. And these guys, here we are on Thursday afternoon before the game, and they didn't know a thing. Not a thing. They've done no homework. They don't understand the level. They don't know anything about the FCS. And you know what I did? I <laughs> I was like, hey, David, did you watch Nichols almost take George out between the head? <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know much about that team. I'm like, yeah, did you know their quarterback's a true freshman? And those two studs on defense are true freshmen? Hey, man, an FCS uh, team loaded with uh, true freshman starters almost knocked out the Bulldogs, man. What do you think of that? <laughs> He's like, well, you know, you know, that was, yeah, they were tough. They were tough. I'm like, well, so he pipes up about, well, maybe the FCS should play in the spring. How about no? <laughs> I mean, I, where, where do you get this? None of these kids want to play in the spring. They, they, you know, they, they grew up playing high school football in the fall. That's what you do. You know, you and I are from the South here. I mean, that's what happens on Friday nights, uh, you know, in Alabama, Georgia, Florida, you, you name it. That's, that's when you play ball. That's when your town shuts down the whole bit. It doesn't make – I can't even imagine 
consistently playing football in March, I mean, that's when you're usually getting baseball cranking, you know, and that's when you're having March Madness. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. So no, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking with that. And that boy, did everybody shoot him down on that idea? So <laughs> it was so disconnected to even say something like that, you know? Well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you went through and said all that. Um, side note, you being a Gator grad and I'm a Georgia Tech grad there, we uh-huh. do have something that overlaps in the Venn diagram um, about certain thoughts related to the university of Georgia. So I'm not going to say that and <laughs> mute myself when you went off of that and let out a laugh, but uh, <laughs> may, may yeah. have happened. Yep. So yep. speaking of competitive, the competitive nature of the FCS, um, I listened to your interview on the North Alabama podcast. Those guys do a great job over yeah, in Florence. Yep. And I really have to agree with you in the fact that I think not only this coming spring, but specifically three years from now, I think the competitive level of the Big South is going to turn into kind of like an NFL Sunday where it's just win, like just win by a point, just yeah. win by a touchdown. Yeah. As opposed to, you could say this past year and some other ones where people wanted to see style points. But I think with all the programs that are on the rise in the next three years, I think every single Saturday is going to be a knockdown, drag out fight. Yeah, it's uh, isn't that amazing how much things have changed in three years? And that's something yes. I, I said with those guys at UNA. I mean, um, I, I, you know, same thing I said with them. I, I do Keith Brake show up in Fargo every uh, every week. I mean, I did it last night, and and I have to go on there. And of course, NDSU fans in general, and really their whole media market, uh, big shock. They have a swagger to them. Now it's a Midwest swagger. It's a little different than Miami swagger. You know, I mean, it. They're proud of their team, and they're cocky. Um, they also are the nicest people in the world. If you tailgate with them, I'll give them that credit, but they love to trash the big South. They love to trash the OVC. They love to trash the Southland, especially Sam Houston state, and Jacksonville state, believe it or not. And I'm not saying this just cause I'm talking to you, man. They seem to have a respect for Kennesaw. Like I, I actually, and I know this is a little sidetrack, but I actually did this show with Keith and Jeff Colhane is the play-by-play guy up there. And his show was talking about you guys when you were preseason ranked and, and they respect the way your program was built. So there's, there's a little nugget for you. Uh, the NDSU crowd who are very educated FCS fans are, are um, impressed with what Kennesaw's done. But in general, three years ago, it was, man, what's up with the big South? And this is about the time Kennesaw was starting to really emerge you could see it coming from a mile away. I mean, I, we knew Kennesaw was going to be a major factor. And Charleston Southern was on the decline. They had almost beaten NDSU. And then they unraveled. And, and I actually know a lot more about that mess than I'd even spill on a, on a podcast. But it, it was a mess. I don't know how much you know about it, Nolan. It was just a bad deal at CSU. So on top of all that, Liberty and Coastal were leaving who were two superpowers in the, in the league. And, you know, and it, it was like six teams. Kennesaw had not become Kennesaw yet. You know, uh, Monmouth had not become Monmouth yet. They were just another team. And Charleston Southern was unraveling because of the administration didn't want to be good at football. It's like, who's going to take this torch, man? You know, and, and I, it, I do remember writing in previews that I thought in a year or two, it would be Kennesaw because, 
they had that core of kids going, you know, with Chandler Burks and, you know, that 15 or 20 guys that, uh, you know, um, David Beal had been talking to me about for years that had started out in 2014 and they only practiced. And, you know, I had seen that at Stetson and it, you know, that's a, that forms a great nucleus. And I thought Kennesaw would get there, but at the time it's like, who, you know, there's only six teams. It's like, nobody wants it yet, you know? And is this just going to dissolve? Are they going to, you know, and you had Presbyterian as part of that and Presbyterian really couldn't play at this level. Um, well, you flash forward to 2020, and Monmouth is be, has – they are as good as they've been in the history of the school in 30 years of playing football. Kennesaw is going to reload every year from now on. I mean, it's just the way they do things. It's where they're located. It's who's coaching them. So Kennesaw is always going to be good. Monmouth wants to be good every year, and I think they've really got something special going there. Charleston Southern finally – their administration – it has switched and they are dedicated to being good and they've got a great coach heading them up, Autry Denson. Um, North Carolina A&T is coming aboard soon. That is by and by far the best HBCU program of the last four years. I do think that they can win playoff games. Uh, you know, you got them. You, come on, North Alabama wins D2 national titles. It's just a matter of time before they're, they're contending. Gardner-Webb – Coach Lamb is recruiting like nobody at Gardner-Webb ever has. I mean, they, in fact, the kids that Gardner-Webb has on board right now for the 2021 class, I did a lot of recruiting the last two weeks uh, because I figured I'd be doing more recruiting in the fall than I usually do. And they're getting, they're getting G5-level kids now at GWU, man. So you start to add all this up and you go – it's going to get to the point of where's the easy game. You know, three years ago, it was like, who is going to emerge from this gaggle to now the gaggle is a really high level gaggle. Who's going to emerge? You know, the parody is going to be awesome, but it's going to be the kind of parody where whoever clearly comes out of that pack, you know, if somebody dominates that pack, I think we're looking, we're, we're clearly looking at a seed you know, maybe even like a top five seed. If somebody ran the gamut in what the Big Sky, uh, Big South looks like it'll be in about two to three years, why would that team at 10 and one not be a five or six seed at least? I agree. I mean, that's what's going to happen. Whereas, let's face it, Nolan, I mean, you heard the questions as much as I have, and I sometimes I'm asking it. You know, maybe some people are afraid to play Kennesaw. I believe that. But the problem is, you know, nobody wants to play you guys. You end up having to play a couple uh, D2 teams on your schedule. And that's what all the powers that be around the country, when I go on a station in Montana or Harrisonburg or Fargo or Maine or whatever, you know, they go, we're not going to play two D2 teams. Why are they playing them? I'm like, because nobody has the Coyotes to schedule them. You know, uh, they'll, they'll get their one, you know, FBS game, maybe two. And then, you know, the Big South is kind of weak this year other than Monmouth. And they had – this is what they had to do. Um, you know, in a couple years, those Big South games are not going to be easy. Those teams are probably going to be winning teams, you know, six wins, seven wins minimum. 
They're going to win their non-conference games, and then they're going to chop each other up in league play. And it's going to look a lot better when you're 10-1 and one coming out of the Big South as champ. It's going to look really good, I think. Um, in fact, and I said this on the North Alabama podcast too, there's definitely a stratosphere thing in the FCS. You've got your top three, which for the last decade have been Missouri Valley, Big Sky, CAA, ever since Appalachian State and Georgia Southern left the SOCON. The next three, SOCON, OVC, Southland. I, the Big South, I think, is in that second stratosphere in two years. I think they bumped somebody down. It, it might be, you know, it could be the OVC, it could be the Southland, I, you know, I don't know. But, I, you know, uh, when you start to look at the teams that are coming on board, who knows? And, and you know, I'm curious to see how dedicated uh, – what, Robert Morris is coming on board, I think, right? Yep, Robert I, Morris. I, they, you know, I've noticed an uptick in their recruiting, too. You can – you know, they can't talk about it on the record, obviously, but you start to notice that they're offering kids that you wouldn't have thought they would offer in the NEC. Maybe because they didn't feel like they could stand a chance to get them. And, like, now Robert Morris is offering kids that Delaware is offering. And, you know, kids that Elon and William and Mary uh, – William and Mary is another program that's stepping it up. You know, those programs are really just a tick below, you know, that G5 level. And Robert Morris is now getting into the scrum for kids that – high-level CAA teams are going for, which tells me they believe they can land them and they want to be in the game for that because they're about to take a step up into a tough conference, you know? So (laughs) Robert Morris isn't going to be a pushover, you know? I kind of feel bad for Hampton because they need to get it together so they can play ball with these schools. Uh, You know, they just moved over from the MEAC and, you know, I mean, anyways, to sum up, and uh, you probably already learned and I'm long-winded, but it's – I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch this league in two or three years. And just like I told the UNA guys, I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. I, 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 I actually really think it's going to be interesting and uh, we don't need Liberty and coastal Carolina to do it. You know, this is inside the nest with Brian McLaughlin of hero sports. If you're enjoying this interview, please subscribe and rate this podcast. All the links to your favorite podcast platforms are available at ksuals.com slash podcasts. As a reminder, too, while you're inside the App Store, if you haven't already, go on ahead and download the Owl Rewards app. It's free, and it's the best part about being a KSU fan. The more you cheer on the Owls, the more you follow KSU events, the more you're rewarded. It's the Owl Rewards app available on the App Store. Our conversation with Brian McLaughlin continues here on Inside the Nest. Brian, with everything going on, talk about football as much as you want. I am not going to cut <laughs> yeah, you I off when you. you're talking ball. I feel the same way, yes. So yeah. I got three questions to wrap it up. Okay. One, looking ahead to spring 2021 in the Big South, uh, going off the preseason poll this year, you got Kennesaw State and you've got Monmouth. Give me a third team that you think is going to fight for the crown. For the crown? For the for the Big South title in spring twenty one, uh, I don't think there's a third team. Okay, <laughs> I, I I think uh, look, you guys, you know, I thought coming into last year, I, I I actually said this in the preview. I think I picked you guys, but I was like, watch out for Monmouth. 
because they had Kenji, they had Petey, and they still should have Petey. That, what a travesty that was. Um, Pete Guerrero should be back, you know, uh, even with Juwan uh, back from injury and everything at Monmouth. Um, Monmouth sure feels good about what they have back. They do have a lot back. I mean, that, and it's a good program, and they've won, what, 21, 22 games the last three years combined, whatever the number is. Um, they've proven to be winners. And then you guys, even with a lot of new names last year, still go out, make the playoffs, and win a game. And what? Almost the entire freaking team is back. Uh, nobody's going to challenge that this year. Not this year. I think North, and Al- I think North Alabama it might be a tick away soon um, as they continue to build, you know, a D1 roster. Um. And maybe it gets really interesting in a year or two. Char- Charleston Southern, I think, is one to keep an eye on down the line. I just – I'm sorry. I, I can't say that there's a third team that has a chance. I'd, I'd say 80-20 you guys should win the Big South. Uh, maybe Monmouth has a chance. Uh, but they've got some question marks at some key positions. Particularly, I, I'm curious to see what they do with the quarterback position, although – they got a good transfer or something like that. Anyways, they, um, it's a great program. So that game should be great, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, not this year. I don't see, I, I don't see a third, not this year. So I want to ask you to step back out on the big picture scale. Okay. And your years of covering the FCS, what have you found to be the best kept game day secret? So I'm not talking uh, – you mentioned uh, James Madison and Fargo and the big crowds on college game day and whatnot. But mm-hmm. where's an under-radar place that you've been that you just love the location, you love the game day atmosphere, uh, you, you love the stadium, and everything that went about it that when people think of great FCS spots on a Saturday that isn't the first uh, one or two or three that come to mind? Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Nolan. We don't do as much travel as maybe you might think. Uh, that's by design. It's, I mean, well, part of it's financial, of course, but, uh, you know, our, our business model from the beginning was to be kind of an all encompassing blog to be able to talk about the country, uh, together collectively more than necessarily going and hitting a game. So uh, do I know about the atmospheres around the country? Yes. Um, have I been to all of them? No. Um, Where's one that you want to go to? That... Uh, Montana. Montana. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I would love to see that. And I actually, um, I have, my my uncle uh, was a teacher at Montana State. So I've been at the MSU Stadium. I've watched fireworks there actually during the 4th of July. Uh, I love that stadium. It was always interesting to go there even back when I was in college because it, it is a lot smaller than the swamp, of course. But um, but it was a neat place, and it was underneath the uh, – I think they're called the Bridger Mountains. Um, it just – the setting was really cool. And, I, and I've been in Missoula and seen the stadium from afar where the Grizz play. Um, I've always been curious about seeing a game there. Um, you know, uh, I've always been curious about Jacksonville State. And they've always – you know, they've extended – now, I've been to the Cramden Bowl to see them in the – the kickoff classic two years ago with uh, NCANT where they lost JSU did. Um, and uh, getting to go to the Cramden bowl was pretty neat, but, um, but 
yeah, I have not been to the Fargo Dome yet, and that has a lot to do with the fact Sam Herder, who I work with, mm-hmm. actually lives up there. It makes no sense for me to go um, when he he can just drive up the street, basically, and he's an alumni, uh, you know, an alum of the school, so he is our Missouri Valley Big Sky guy, so he goes to those. But, um, yeah, I've been to JMU a couple times. And, uh, you know, I've been to where FAMU plays. I've watched games there. I used to work as a newspaper writer in Tallahassee and Daytona Beach where Bethune-Cookman is. And FAMU, you know, Bragg Stadium's impressive when they're filling it. And they're good. They're going to be good for the next couple of years. That place is going to be crazy when they're winning. Um, you know, so there's I, – yeah, I, but sitting underneath the Rocky Mountains and watching a game with 28,000 fans that are – let me put it this way. Grizz fans remind me of Gator fans. Uh, JMU fans kind of do too uh, because they're cocky. Uh, they can be obnoxious, really obnoxious, and it is totally them against the world. And that includes me being part of the world. They, they hate you. <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, JMU fans are a little different because we've had a connection with them, mostly because they've been good and we've covered them a lot. So they think we like them. We're like, no, we don't like you. It's the fact that you've been good. So we've covered you a lot, you know, and the Grizz, eh, not so much the last five years. They've had their ups and downs and um, their fans think we hate them. And, uh, but, but that's, that's all fun. And then on top of that, they've got that great, uh, great location, that great venue. So I, that would be number one for me. All right. Well, I uh, I spent a summer working in Missoula oh. six years ago. Nice. And I was dying to go to a Grizz game up there. So last year, had we beat Weber State, uh, next in line would have been Montana. And I said, I'm going to find my way on that charter flight to Washington Grizzly Stadium yeah, and experience yeah. that. Yeah, man. No, I, that, that yeah, I remember that. And um, uh, y'all gave Weber – fits too that was that was a great game but yeah that that's a I think everybody understands that that's one of the more iconic uh you know settings for FCS football and especially when the weather's kind of nice you know when it's still in September and you know you always think about when Carson Wentz went in there with NDSU you know defending champs Mm -hmm. he's a senior they go in there and they lost You know that that setting went uh, went crazy when they got upset. So uh, great place to see it. To wrap it up, Ryan, you've given us fantastic insight of the FCS. I've really enjoyed this podcast. Is there anything that, whether it's uh, not just this podcast, but in any sort of writing or interviews or, or podcast that you've done regarding the FCS that you haven't discussed that you want to? Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you have on your heart and your mind that you want to talk about related to the FCS? Hmm. Well, I think we've hit all corners pretty well. I, I think, um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say this. One of the coolest things about this level, uh, overall, and this, I guess this is saying it from the media standpoint, but I don't see why it wouldn't be how the fans even look at it. Uh, I would think the fans probably would agree with me. It's just how grounded and, approachable this level is you know collectively um you know I mean just to share with you I did I did national recruiting with the sporting news for five years and when I would go to these 
stupid all-star games and clinics and all this crap. Um, these kids, uh, you know, I covered high schools for a long time and I loved covering high schools. I did it for like 15 years. And, you know, since I was in high school and when you went to a high school game, you talk to a kid, it, it, he might be a little nervous, but he, he's going to be usually a pretty nice kid, whatever. These recruits that are going to Auburn and Alabama and, you know, Georgia and whatever, um, a lot of them are jerks. Yeah, they're jaded. And, you know, a lot of these guys, looking back, they didn't work out. A lot of them are sitting at home wondering why. Um, you know, you haven't accomplished anything. I don't know why you think you're the second coming. And you get to the FCS, quote-unquote, kids, and we can connect with an All-American at this level who has a, the potential to be drafted, you know, on day three or whatever. And you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know it that this guy's an All-American who broke a record last year, and he's being projected as a fifth-round draft pick because they aren't, they aren't jaded. They've had to work to get to the point they're in. When they came out of high school, they had two offers and a walk-on offer, and that's it. You know, hardly anybody wanted them. Nobody at the, P, you know, nobody at the P5 level wanted them, even as a walk-on. And so they realized, you know, I gotta, I'm gonna have to develop my body. I'm gonna have to eat correctly, and you know, and by the way, I'm probably never gonna play pro ball. So it might be wise to be serious about this academic thing. And so you get kids who are graduating, um, who are serious about their studies, and you don't want to, you know, I, I've said this a bunch of times on on interviews. You don't end up wanting to stick a finger down your throat and puking when you hear them say that stuff. You know, sometimes you hear that at the higher levels and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, at this level, when you're talking to a guy and he says, yeah, I'm going to get my degree first and then, hey, if the pro thing works, great. No, they, they, they mean it. And I think that's one of the cool things about this level is it's, uh, it's, it's the, to me, the perfect mixture between covering preps, covering high schools, and covering a guy who's going to play in the NFL. And it's like you get the best of both worlds. You get the approachability and the grounded, you know, the grounded side of what prep sports is like. And you're getting pretty decent-sized crowds, NFL draft-level talent, and ESPN game day may show up. You get that, too. And yet, it, there it's like so you're getting the high level of talent with great coaching and 25,000 fans or whatever at some of these stadiums, uh, and yet these kids have not been jaded, and that's I think one of the coolest things about the FCS level. Brian, we appreciate you joining us on Inside the Nest. I had a lot of fun with you today. I want to welcome you as a new friend of the pod, and we look forward to having you back on when we get ready for spring football 2021. Thank you. Yeah, Nolan, would love to do it. Uh, you guys have – I love your fans. They are very interactive and do not hesitate to call you out if uh, you messed up. <laughs> <laughs> but in a nice way, I love Kennesaw fans and, and I've always thought that it is one of the sleeping dragons of this level based on where it's located, who's coaching, the style they run, and how hard it is to get ready for it and how it, you know, sucks the life out of an opponent when it's running 
correctly on offense to the point where your defense is sitting over there sipping tea because they don't need to be out on the field because of uh, eating the clock the way the offense does. So it's all I love those attacks. Uh, you know, it's fun to watch. So, uh, but anyways, love love the Kennesaw fans and always love connecting with them on uh, on the tweeter, as they say. Inside the Nest is brought to you by Fifth Third Bank, the official bank of Kennesaw State Athletics. Fifth Third Bank, working hard to make banking a fifth third better. Visit 53.com for more information. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Inside the Nest. It was a lot of fun hearing from Brian McLaughlin. I'm your host, Nolan Alexander. Be sure to tune in each and every week as a fresh new episode of Inside the Nest drops each Wednesday. And I'll give you a little hint for next week as fall temperatures hopefully start to come upon us. We're going to take that thermostat and dial it down heavily. You might even say past freezing. You'll find out what I'm talking about. Join us next week on Inside the Nest.